Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking nitrogen, liquid or dry, what's the best? And then our spotlight, we'll take a look at New Holland's new pickup head. Egg History Minute, we're talking the origins of Landsat. Cool Beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events and we'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schaumburg. Hey guys. Todd Schaumburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. You guys watched the big game. Yep. Great game. It was a good game. Yeah, it was very competitive. Apparently, that's how you beat the Niners is you do the reverse. You let them get the lead, and <laughs> right. then you come back then from come back. the deficit. Yep. Is that the new way to win games? Like you say, is like it's hard to hold leads in the NFL, that's for sure. Well, there, there was a thing I saw that Kansas City, in all three of their Super Bowl wins, has come back from a 10-point deficit. From, from down? Jeez. Wow. Yeah. So and you just need Travis Kelsey to yell at Andy Reid. Yeah, just scream at him on the sideline. That was great. <laughs> that was crazy. Even like, that Andy Reid didn't like slap him upside the head. He because he kind of came from behind and kind of got out caught off guard. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know what he actually said because there's rumors of a whole bunch of different stuff. But uh, at the time, they weren't like he wasn't playing much. I don't think, and they weren't getting him the ball. So yeah. he's probably like, "Give me the yeah." He was, "I love you so much, Kyle." Yeah. yeah. We'll get cheeseburgers after yeah. this. This is so meaningful to be here with you. Yeah. I can't believe my girlfriend's here. You want some in an out burger? Oh, the best I'm going to order in an out burger. <laughs> Do you want to talk about your life insurance? Give <laughs> yeah. me in the commercial. Are you vaccinated? <laughs> yeah, any number of things he could have been screaming. Probably none of those. But yes. did you guys have a rooting interest? Uh, or was it just like meh? My kids were rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs for whatever reason. I, I did not ask them for their reasoning. Just like they were both excited to hear that Kansas City won the next morning. So, Yeah, I, I was hope, just because the Niners beat us. So it was yeah, pretty, that's, yeah. pretty bad reason as well. Like, it, But I, as I was watching, it was like, well, either, either team could win here. I, Shanahan always seems kind of uppity to me, but he hasn't really won anything ever. And I... I like Andy Reid. Even in winning, he's a good. And, and same with Mahomes. Actually, they're they're very. I don't want to say they're good winners in a way or way, but like you don't. We're going to start to hate him as he keeps winning, right? The, well, the problem but, is never Mahomes. It's his brother and his wife. Yes, they, and his they're, dad. They're the problem. Yeah, and his <laughs> yeah. His, oh <laughs> beforehand, the, it sounds like his brothers kind of got the blackball now. Like, yeah. yeah, after that whole thing with the. Even though he, I don't think they, he ever ended up getting punished or anything for that whole kissing the girl on a bar without her consent thing kind of got him to throw thrown out of the spotlight a little bit. But yeah, no, there, there was a thing I saw beforehand of, of like if the Niners win and if the Kansas City Chiefs win, like side-by-side -side comparisons of what was going to happen. And both had Patrick Mahomes' dad driving home drunk. <laughs> was, wow. was, no matter what the result was. Yikes. So. so this is the only football game I get my 17-year-old daughter to watch the whole game with us. Like, intently. Yeah, okay. Is she there for the commercials, though? And the halftime. And halftime, yeah. Yep. She, she loves halftime and then the commercials, definitely. So It was a very college vibe halftime show yeah, for... As of for me and Todd. Circa early sure, yeah. 2000. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yep. Just, yep. 
to the point where at first I was in like I was like trying to remember who Alicia Keys was. I was like, I know this song. Who is that lady? Oh yeah, it's Alicia Keys. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it was fine. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like yeah, the no, best he, ever, but it didn't suck. He's good. Taylor Swift didn't come down for it, so that was fine. Right. It was good. That would have been a whole other thing. I'm sure that we'd be hearing more about that than the Super Bowl if it had happened. So, she stayed in her lane. What'd, yep. you, what'd you guys think of, of this commercial? Thank you, Agent State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Cut. Hey, Arnold, I'm hearing neighbor. It's neighbor. That's what I said. Neighbor. 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 Let's go again. Like a good neighbor. It was my favorite. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. enjoyed it. Especially when <laughs> Danny DeVito showed up. And also when that one lady corrects him, like, get me out of this chopper. It's pronounced chopper. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he's by the sheep. That was the sheep. It's the sheep. I got you number, buddy. I like when celebrities pick on themselves or make fun of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was enough of this. There's so many today where they're just so butthurt about everything. Yeah, and, and you're right. It, it makes it fun when it, when they kind of lean into those kind of deals. And yeah, it was good. Any other good commercials you guys saw? Matt, I have a feeling Todd's going to show up to the Tilth Christmas Tilth Christmas party with a Dunkings uh, yeah I, jumpsuit. I hope, I hope so. That would be amazing. <laughs> I did enjoy that one too. That that one I thought I I enjoyed Matt Damon in it, but other than that, I thought it was just too much going on to fit in sixty seconds. And I was like, "What's happening? Why is J Lo mad? And wh- why is Ben Affleck doing this? What is happening?" Well, imagine if you showed up to your wife's work <laughs> dressed like that. You're like, "I'm here to teach science today. What up, <laughs> what yo? Up? <laughs> How would that go? Yeah, about like the commercial. Yes. Yeah." yeah. No, I'm going to show up in a Kawasaki mullet and just. Yeah, I did not see that one. Oh, I, was, I watched it before we recorded yeah, here. And it was. I enjoyed that too. It was right? just great. It had UTVs in it, which is fun. And then yes, when it drove by and you automatically yeah, got a mullet, the eagle was, mullet, and then the end with Stone Cold Steve Austin yes, getting a mullet. Yeah. yeah, it was good. Just adding mullets to anything is. Yeah. Oh we'll, yeah. We'll get views, right? UTVs and mullets. I think you're. <laughs> I think I'm. I'm on board. Especially with an eagle. Both are business in the front, party in the back. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I thought there were a fair amount of good ones this year. I mean, some years it's a little rough to find the the, well, the diamonds there, but. What's hard with this, not what's good, but people that are like, ah, you know, the halftime wasn't good, the commercials weren't good, or the game wasn't good. Like, they were all good. Right. So I don't know how you can top that either. Like, everything was good. Like, so I don't know what, what you're expecting from the Super Bowl. Are we. Or, or big game. do we just feel like we have to top every year? Like eventually I, I, you can't top it's hard what to you top did, that, right? right. Like, well, even now it's hard to like, because we're eating supper at the beginning part of the game, so I like paused it. But then what do you fast forward through? Right, to catch up because, to the game. Because, because you're not going to, usually it's the commercials you can just click through. But this I clicked through, because the only thing I didn't like was Tony Romo was not very good at commentating. Like he just, it's just all over the board sometimes, and yeah, I used to love Tom, Tony Romo, and this was pretty tough. So usually it was fast forwarding through like in between plays, 
the 30 seconds you got while they're just talking. So I think part of the problem with the commercials too is that the they show a lot of them before. Like, yeah, like you're the right. Christopher Walken one I saw well, before the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, that one and then there was a one like a friends like for Uber Eats where it was yep. Jennifer Aniston and and Schwimmer and you you kind of saw it already so when they played it it was like, "Oh yeah, okay." So you're you're right, Matt. You're right about that. That's changed. And since the Super Bowl is apparently scripted now, that <laughs> yeah, takes right, away from it. Right. Ray, you don't care about the Super Bowl because you know what's going to happen. Even, even though everybody said the Ravens were going to make it because of the logo colors, but then the Ravens didn't make it. But it was still scripted. So. Well, next year's colors are green and purple, so Packers and Ravens. Ravens. Or Seahawks, yeah. I heard, too. It was, part of the, it was either Seahawks. It was pretty Packery green, but no. Yeah. And it's New Orleans. That's, they won already there, so it's just... It would be pretty cool to be back in New Orleans. All right. Are you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Yeah. So nitrogen, liquid, liquid nitrogen. It's very cold. Uh, no, not that kind of liquid nitrogen. Uh, so dry or liquid, what's best? Bill, what do you got for us? Yeah, I was sitting with a grower yesterday, and, and this grower actually has the ability on farm to apply, store, blend, just all those things. Um with liquid or dry fertilizer. So our conversation was um, which way is best this year. And that's been a conversation with them every year, obviously, because of their ability to do that. This year, I th- actually, after doing some math, um, probably isn't as big a deal as it normally is. A lot of times we'll see a bigger price difference, but this year it seems as though it's a little bit closer, which is which is fine. It's good for the average farmer that has to go to the co-op or somewhere um, to buy their, their things and have it applied. Um, but just kind of like, how do we figure that out? Right. Because urea is a different price and what, than what AMS is and what 32 is and what 28 is. So basically we want to break it down in cost per unit, right? We want to, cause everything is a different percentage of nitrogen. Every product want to break it down by unit. So, um, not good radio like math, like Todd was talking earlier, but basically we take 2,000 pounds in a ton. Now it's time for our tilth math segment. Tilth math. We basically want to get units per ton. So 2,000 pounds times 0.46, 46% urea, gets us 920 tons. Multiply you, your price divided by 920. Right. So you having those factors would be helpful to kind of either remember them, write them somewhere, but it's it's easy math once you do it a couple times, but it does seem like, especially one one's liquid, one's dry, so you sometimes get all up, you know, you know oh, i got to convert this to dry or whatever, but right. if you remember, urea is obviously always price per ton, and same with 32% is like, it's, it's not usually price per gallon, it's price per ton. So you're actually in the same units, when you have that price, you're price the same. per gallon, you'd have right. to do way more math. You'd have to do it different, but yep. you know when you're trying to figure out units or something else. But yeah, so like you say, Bill, with 32%, it's just the 2,000 times 0.32 for 32%, and you get the 640 units per ton. Do that math, divided, you know, the 359 divided by 640 to get your 56 cents a unit. So, and, I, this, and this factor, this price per unit, changes even throughout the season because I've had conversations with this specific grower like over the years of like okay if we're gonna buy it in december we're gonna buy urea and then all of a sudden you know they're like well we didn't buy it because of whatever reasons and we get to february and all of a sudden it flipped and urea went way up because of 
you know, the river or whatever. And actually in talking to him yesterday, he's like, Hey, can we wait? Do you think we'll be able to wait to do our wheat until, um, until April instead of um, March? Because in April, the river opens and then the price drops 20 bucks. So like, usually it's like, why would that matter? You know, usually as season goes on, the price gets higher, but the river opens. So supply gets a little easier to, to be, to have. So then the price goes down, but um, if you don't get any more moisture, that might not be the case this year, but you never know. Yeah, correct. <laughs> so right now it's pretty close. And I took an average for Uri on some of the prices I've gotten in the last two months from growers. Uh, right around just shy of $500 a ton for urea comes to like 53 cents a unit. And then um, I couldn't drum up any 28 mm-hmm. prices. I had a 32 price at like five, uh, excuse me, 360 a ton. And that's 56 cents. So it's really actually pretty close this year what's the biggest split you remember seeing i don't know that's i was thinking about that i swear it was like 10 or 12 cents when we got to some of those weird covid times that depending which one you could get and how you could get it it just it went really flip-flop so that is one thing when it really flops one way to to think about that that's why i think you have this number one bill is it's the easiest one to make your choice is like, well, I can save X amount of money by right. just going with this product. And probably for most farmers out there, it doesn't, to some degree, doesn't matter because it's all coming from someone else is doing the work for them. Right. right? They're not doing Correct. it themselves. Yeah. Like, that, that's unique too. Like you said, if you have a grower that has both options, because that's always, that's been the case too sometimes where I've got uh, growers with side dress rigs. They just automatically do 28 or 32% because you have the setup to do that. But if you have that setup and urea is still way cheaper, sometimes you can actually pay the co-op to apply it and it's and done. And put it, your rig in the, right, your rig in the shed. Right. So we've done that math before too where if depending on how different it is, you know, doing that. So I think that's why this do your math part first. Yeah. And it's not that hard of math. If you do it right, you just... Crank out, get to price per unit, and and then you know. Well, like you said, Bill, having the ability to store is huge because that was a couple of years ago at a farm that <clears throat> urea prices were higher, but he could get it cheaper, which not as cheap as it is today, but it was like six hundred bucks a ton versus I think almost seven because he if he could store it on farm and spread it himself. Right. So yeah, it does pay to have that capability if, if you can swing it i think the biggest thing too we've noticed obviously more farmers have bought in their own spreaders the the hardest part right is storage right like or blending you know like yeah well we can run out there if we're just spreading urea we bought an old spreader from you know the co-op went out of business or they shut down a location or they like bought a whole new bunch of spreaders so they want to sell the old ones like that's happened but it's like yeah, but now I, I want to run some potash too. Like, how do I blend that? Do I got a a shed floor that I'm like using a skid steer bucket to turn it to mix it? You know, so that can be difficult. Um, but I think I think you just need to do the math to start with um, to figure out if if okay. So yep, like Todd said, I have a side dress rig, but it's twenty cents difference. Maybe I should go a little bit heavier on the co-op spreading some dry early on, and then I can use my side just rig, but just not as much. You know, maybe it's, I was going to go 25 gallons. Maybe now I'm going to go 15 because the cost is prohibitive to go to go higher. Uh, other things to consider 
uh, once you get through the math part of it is the application cost too, right? Because if you're going to hire someone to do um, like late season Y drops, that's going to be, you know, 12 to 18 bucks an acre or whatever they're charging um, to do that versus uh, having someone with a dry spreader come out and it's four bucks, you know, so there's a, a cost and that kind of obviously bleeds into the, the one we just talked about with the cost of the product also the cost of the application. So kind of decide your situation. Are you doing it yourself? Yeah, I know farmers don't necessarily always take into consideration their cost um, because they pay themselves nothing, right? It's it's just one of those things like I have to do it anyway, so. No, but timing's important. Yes. Especially if you're going to do it yourself because if you can call the co-op and they can do it now versus you doing it in a week, that could make a big difference in your application. Correct. So. And I think... Kind of to jump into the next one, Matt, that's a good good lead in there is specifically timing, but timing from the standpoint of when are you going to, to do it? Are you are you putting some in the starter? Do we maybe add a couple extra gallons in the starter two by two, like we talked last week, Todd, because 28 is a good, good buy. Are we doing it pre-plan incorporate, some dry pre-plan incorporate? I've got a couple guys yet that still run 28 through their sprayer with, with their Acuron, you know, like an early post. So just the consideration of price and then when are you going to apply it, you know, and, and sometimes we get to a point if we're going to do, we got what we feel is good up front and then we're going to do a late wide drop. Well, the price in July could be completely different than it is in February. So obviously that's something to consider. And then I don't work with any pivots, Todd, but I know you do, you know, so. Yeah, fertigation is awesome. You <laughs> I told mean, I think you told me once, like, it's more of a fertilizer application technique than a water. Right. I mean, you, the, and then like on a dry year like this, think about you can give it all the nitrogen you want, but if it doesn't have water along with it, you might as well not do the nitrogen on a dry year. So it, it, it is such a good one-two tandem kind of one-two punch with getting fertilizer, you know, to getting, you know, I see my best nitrogen use efficiency through fertigation. Sure. Because you have moisture there or, you know, a tandem of if the corn is shorter, say you got V6 corn and you want to go spread urea, well, you fire up the pivot right after to prevent volatilization yep, as well. It so it, it, you know, yes, there's huge benefits with irrigation and getting moisture on at the right time. But I really think in corn where we see the benefits are the fertigation part and how we can properly feed these plants at the right time and get that nutrient, you know, in and how we want it. And we're not kind of waiting for mother nature to do something or, you know, waiting for that moisture that we need with it. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's a great way that if you have a pivot, um, I had one farm that kind of couple, you know, five, 10 years ago, put up pivots. And then for the first couple of years, we didn't really use them to fertigate. We didn't, he didn't even kind of know that was a thing. And sort of once we showed him how how to do it and not how easy it is because it's complicated enough. you got to time the pumps, right? you got to have the right setup. But once you have it figured out, it's it's pretty, you know, you can dial it in pretty well and in a very good way to feed that crop. And even in that case with a pivot, Todd, like maybe you do have a big spread in price, but in it's let's just say it isn't raining, and, you know, it's easier to put that 32 through the pivot, like, 
that price difference probably is going to pay off because right. you're and it, and the same with dry right you could spread it like you said and and, and wash it in but heck if you're running the pivot why not why not put the the nitrogen right with it so in a dry year that price difference might not matter as much because you need that water anyway uh next one i think crop kind of matters like deciding what to go here i mean just thinking about like root mass and root distribution throughout the soil profile like um you know if you're worried that going out and spreading a broadcast urea on corn early season like am i going to lose some of that versus a band and then you think about well like if i got a wheat crop out there or grass or you know a winter cereal like rye or something where there's a lot of roots like i could afford to go out and broadcast a dry application because there's way more roots to intercept that that nitrogen versus early season corn uh, maybe a an application of a banding application is better so just i don't think that's a big consideration but i think it still has to be a consideration is what crop you're you're doing because there's lots of things going on yeah um, and i think before soil. before we had streamer bars it was a bigger part of that conversation now <laughs> now with those that changes it a little bit but there, especially on wheat and grass before we had a lot of things that, that's a good point man is we used to just have what you know it was like spin it on or cidrus with a disc on so you know there was just not all these options of Y drop and two by two by two, and then and the airflow came you know, in, right? Yeah, and then the airflow, yeah. I mean, so that's the other part I think in this whole discussion is in ten to twenty years, our options not just doubled. I mean, they quadrupled to their eight times as many things to pick from of how to apply it. So yeah, crop matters. I think to some degree, probably should be at the bottom of the list, but it's I, my list that isn't. Um, next one, kind of application type, you know, the main two ones being broadcast versus band. We kind of got into this a little bit already, but there's not a lot of banding of urea going on that I know of. Uh, you know, banding is really easy with with um, liquid. With liquid. Uh, maybe some strip-till stuff you're doing right before planting. Maybe you're putting a little urea in there where you're banding it, but obviously that application matters, so... What type are you using? If, yep, I'm a bander, it's all I'm going to do is band, well, then then you might be stuck in a certain type of fertilizer. So um, that's a consideration, band versus broadcast. I think you talked, Todd, about nitrogen use efficiency. I think more farmers are thinking about banding for that specific reason of the efficiency of it. Right. We always talk, you know, the, the four R's of nutrient management, and one of them's rate is a big one but the but the a bigger one is is rates important but looking at other types of all the other ones and that kind of gets you into banding versus broadcast and we're just seeing a lot more use efficiency if you can get it near that plant and how, and timing and how you do it so i agreed bill that this that could be a bigger deal is yes we just talked about price per unit but if you band it and you could cut down you know 10 percent on units because you can band it and it, it's more use efficient then you're actually could be price ahead so that is a couple things to consider too is all these other you know we did the price at the top but that's comparing apples to apples same rate whereas there's times where you could lower the rate you know if you were banding 32 percent. so that's I, I think that's a good thing to think about bill 
Next one here is just kind of, um, I call it add-ons. Like, what else are you doing? Um, are you going out in your wheat field and putting herbicide on and you want to add five gallons to the mix, um, you know, for a little boost? Obviously not. You're not going to put all that eggs in that basket, hopefully. You're, hopefully you're getting something out early to get tillering going. Um, we talked to irrigation already, Todd. You know, you're running your pivot. You throw it in. Just kind of those kinds of things. Um, are you, you know... I talked earlier about a herbicide with corn. Okay, so we're putting our Acuron out there. Do we throw a little bit in? Some of those things can get difficult because I don't want to run 32 through my sprayer with Acuron. But again, just are there other applications that you're doing that you can add nitrogen to? Or in opposite, like side dressing, make sure you're throwing maybe some sulfur in with your 32 that gets your sulfur out there so kind of the opposite of i'm doing the nitrogen application what else, what else can i take along yep. with that nitrogen it is it is nice you got kind of ams to go in with the with the urea and then on the you got a ammonium thiosulfate to go in with the liquid side so it's kind of a nice tandem that way too where they both do have a sulfur partner but some of the other nutrients can be hard to get in there especially potash on the liquid side uh, so knowing that too, you might, you know, sometimes if you know you got to spin out some potash, you might throw in some urea or at that timing and just to get get both out there a little bit better. And then there's a couple of considerations here. These kind of these last two kind of go hand in hand. Um, obviously, we need we need rain, right? Last year we all saw that without rain we could throw a million pounds per acre of nitrogen out, and it wouldn't. Maybe at that point it would, but it's not going to do much. So we need that rain to prevent dry fertilizer from volatilization, liquid fertilizer to just to get into the plant. And I think we've seen, you know, banding, banding that nitrogen, and then you get some of those dews that can help get that moved in the soil. But really would be nice. Uh, and I know I've I've talked to Todd and Matt. I've talked to some co-op guys and. Oh, you're calling me today to make an order. That's great. Everyone else is. I guess it's going to rain tomorrow. You know, like <laughs> I think these the, these applicators know that um, day before the rain, they're going to be pretty busy. Yeah, everybody wants everything now because they, they see rain in the forecast. And, yeah, we couldn't even count on dues last year a lot of the time. So that is a pretty big deal when you can know you're going to get rain or at least have a good chance. I think it's an important one going off of a dry year, going into a potentially very dry year to consider that how you know, maybe I do have to go liquid this year because I have a better way to get it protected from volatilization. I don't know how you guys felt after last week's Forge Council meeting and Francisco talking about the long range forecast. I was very, <laughs> it was very negative about how this summer was going to go with, uh, I, I, you wonder if rainfall. Yeah, I, I agree. Bill is we'll see what the weather does, but it is not, you know, we had one big snowfall. We had one or two little rains, but that's all the precipitation we've had. Yeah, so. we were getting potential shots in the forecast for a little bit more snow here and there, but the temperature means it's it's turning to liquid and hopefully soaking in, but, you know, we're not going to have a a large surplus at any point in the near future, at least. And the last one, uh, protect it. Right, it's what. No matter what the cost difference is, no matter what the price is, at certain times of the year, we should be, we should be protecting it from volatilization, from 
leaching, all those fun things. So consider uh, a nitrogen uh, stabilizer when you're talking about any type of nitrogen and have that discussion with your agronomist, um, with your fertilizer provider, like, okay, here's what I'm doing. Should I use one? Should I not? There's some times you probably don't need it. I mean, if if you're applying today and there's a really good chance of rain tomorrow, like obviously nothing's a 100%, but uh, maybe maybe you can risk it and save a few bucks and not put it on. But I think for the most part, in the industry, we've we've really pushed to protect protect that investment, especially when as the price gets higher, right? Yep. All right, so there you go. There's some things to consider when looking at nitrogen, whether you do liquid or dry. Uh, no matter what, try to protect it and make sure you're getting the most out of your application. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So New Holland has introduced a new ultra-feed pickup head for FR Forage Cruiser self-propelled harvesters. A 13-foot working width, the head is designed to handle large windrows while facilitating improved crop flow through the crop channel. The design also optimizes horsepower and cutter head capacity to increase operator productivity, and that is always something I think we're striving to do. So as part of the new design, a belt-driven drive line was incorporated into the ultra-feed head. This new element not only increases capacity and uptime, but extends service life for the head, according to the company. Its drive line, coupled with a new auger design, smoothens crop flow into the forage harvester's feed rolls. They also have added a larger wind guard, and that will compress the large swaths ahead of the pickup reel, which is beneficial in handling light windrows. The integration of mesh to the top of the head also lets operators monitor crop flow into the forage cruiser with optional LED lights to enhance visibility. Now you can light up the windrow. At night. I hope it's like purple, like you see the cars driving. Yeah. Maybe you can change the colors. (laughs) That would be awesome. I do like the forage cruiser name. I think that's pretty cool. Forage cruiser. We're going to hang a disco ball off the mirror now and like, oomsk, 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 oomsk. Yeah, you're just going to drive this down Main Street and <laughs> fire up those LED lights. And We've talked about pimping the planter. Now yeah. we're going to pimp the uh, the forage harvester. So, <laughs> all right. Anything. These guys sit in these things a lot during the summer. So anything to, to spice up the day probably for them is good. We should be putting LED lights everywhere. I mean, they're like <laughs> cheap. They're functional. Like, yeah, I, I don't know why they're not on just every, every crevice. Of thing. The, yes. Every part of every equipment so you can light it up. Turn everything into a flashlight. Yes. Because you never know when you're going to need one. All right. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. So today we're talking about Landsat. So if you're unfamiliar, it's in, in September 1966. Then Secretary of the Interior Stuart Udall announced the U.S. Department of the Interior was launching Project Eros, stands for Earth Resources Observation Satellites, to collect vital information about Earth through remote sensing satellites. This remarkably ambitious project, later renamed Landsat, supported the mandate that Congress set for the USGS when the agency was established in 1879, the classification of public lands and examination of the products of the national domain. Secretary Udall's further vision was to observe the Earth for the benefit of all. 
Since 1972, it's been surveying agricultural conditions. So following the launch on, of uh, Landsat 1 on July 23, 1972 by NASA, the Foreign Agricultural Service of the U.S. Department of Agriculture began using Landsat imagery and data to monitor global agricultural production from space. The experimental stages of this new capability followed on the heels of the Soviet Union's grain crop failure of 1972. Although the crop failure was widespread throughout the USSR, the extraordinary extent of the shortfall remained unknown to U.S. officials until months later. This lack of timely global production estimates meant that the USSR was able to purchase massive quantities of U.S. wheat at substantially lower prices than the true market value. The first large-scale program for monitoring global crop production using Landsat imagery was USDA's Agriculture and Resource Inventory Surveys through Aerospace Remote Sensing, or AgriStars, launched in 1979. Primary focus for AgriStars was on early warning and crop condition assessment in support of foreign commodity production forecasting. So there you go. There's how we've been kind of tracking ag resources across the globe to anticipate shortfall and keep market values where they need to be. Great. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to our listeners out there. Please tell a farmer friend about the podcast. All you need to do is search Tilth Talk Radio and Apple Podcasts or on an Android phone, which I recently got teased about having an Android phone. So what? one of our listeners out there yeah, texted me and said it came up. It must come up as like a green circle. Yeah, it's a green or on blue. Their, yeah. yeah, on on your iPhone, yep. Bill. You know, if and, it's, if it's and an you, iPhone, it's blue. Right. So if you turn up green, they so know. so they knew. They're like, what? What kind? What kind of phone do you got? And I'm like, uh, I'm not gonna say. But on the <laughs> Android, Matt, is there any way to tell on an Android phone if they have an Android phone or an iPhone when you text them or not? Probably, but I don't. I don't uh, know that. I don't, okay. I don't think of it that way. <laughs> right. I accept all phones equally. I think Android. Yes, we're like the. Uh, no, it's it's turning into the green versus red. Yes. Right. It's like John Deere versus. Versus case is case, definitely yeah. like iPhone versus versus Android. But if, but if you do have an Android phone, um, you can listen on an app called Podcast Attic. There's many other apps out there. There used to be Google Podcasts, but they are sunlighting that for. Uh, I believe it's called YouTube Radio, so you can use that app. And you can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltheg.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook and X at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now let's get to our Cool Beans That's Corny and some current events. So Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Cool Beans. Our Cool Beans this week, a weed-killing robot dog become a farmer's best friend. So with the rise of herbicide resistance, some might say that weed control has gone to the dogs. In one particular case, it quite literally has, well, a robot dog, that is. The recent annual meeting of the Weed Science Society of America, Joe Johnson, a doctoral student at Texas A&M University, presented his research project on the use of a quadruped robot dog for weed control. He took Spot, built by Boston Dynamics, equipped with a propane torch affixed to a six-axis arm and trained him to seek out common sunflower in a cotton field. The result? Weeds were cooked to a crisp with a 2,642-degree flame with a 97.3% precision. As long as he doesn't light the whole field on fire, we're good, but... 
Those bust and dynamics, because they're the ones with that robot where you can, like, you've seen the videos where they like, yep. knock it over and yep. then it gets Back up, and up. then they got this dog spot who I know is for, like, military use as well. Like, they'll use them to hold, like, bomb sniffers. And, yeah. yeah. And, well, and, like, as, like, a pack dog because it can get through different terrain and stuff. Oh, sure. sure. Yep. So, this is a very cool use of that because, yeah, you watch that thing and it can, this, this, dog thing can climb through rocks and all kinds of stuff so and hopefully it doesn't it, uh dig holes in your field yeah, like other right dogs. right <laughs> yeah it's kind of a cool thing and i think you could probably put a weed laser on it too if you're Ooh. worried about the uh if we could put a laser on a shark laser. we could put a yeah. laser on a dog all i want is a freaking dog with a freaking laser <laughs> in its head is that too much to ask for <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do the the pinky. Sorry, is it, 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 no one on the yeah, no one. <laughs> I just outside of the three of us. It was the perfect. It just I'm like yeah, you just need the considering <laughs> like I'm seeing um, uh, ads now for Back to the Future Four and Gremlins Four, and maybe they'll have was another that? Austin Powers. I think last year the was it during the Super Bowl or was it just a regular sh- like a Chevy commercial or something they had uh, Mike Myers on as Doctor Evil. Yep. But, uh, yeah, you never know. They're rebooting a lot of stuff. All right. Our That's Corny this week. Antler Madness. Deer Shed Thieves Poach Farmland and Private Property. So, you know, we've got a couple coworkers that are big into finding sheds. But whether it's luster greed, many trespassers decide to wander some farmland looking for deer sheds. Late winter or early spring, which this year, I mean, we're... See, it feels like spring right now with the, the lack of snow cover. So maybe they're out there right now as we speak. Those thieves. Uh, the lure of shed treasure is a powerful pull to the public despite purple paint, posted signs, and fences. So farm to farm and region to region, reactions vary from tongue lashings to hot pursuit to prosecution. Uh, so if you do trespass on other people's property, you have to expect there's going to be some sort of reaction if you get caught. Uh, so yeah, every year... Seems more and more people are out there looking for sheds and taking them off of property that they don't belong on, which is unfortunate. So, Todd is a non-hunter. I didn't think this was I, like a I big didn't, deal, right? But no, even the, remember like the first time finding a shed, I didn't. Well, you found it in your tire, right? Yeah, in a four-wheeler tire. You that literally was not drove over. Great, right? So when I was like, "Oh man!" So if you and, were a, a shed hunter, you would have seen that, but way yeah, before right, you would have no, ran over. <laughs> But I was riding with a grower, like it was late December, we didn't have snow, and they picked up a new hunk of ground, and they were tilling it, and he was taking, driving me around it, and he literally looked over my shoulder, and like, 50 yards away, he's like, is that a shed? Stopped the truck, jumped out, ran over there, sure enough, found it, Not I wasn't even like, thinking about looking for something like that, so. No, usually when we find them, it's, we're walking in a field's <laughs> we just happen across them a lot of times. But, uh, yeah, he said says in the article here that uh, the worst thing is when a trespasser finds a big shed, he comes back to find the, the other the half. The other half, so re- yes. Repeat offenses. I didn't think of that right. And even they're coming in at night with all kinds mm. of LED flashing. No. <laughs> yes. No, but it did say that, too. Like, yeah, they'll find one of them and then try to find the other shed. And sometimes in the, you know, at night, which it gets dark pretty early in the winter, so there's a lot more... You know, night starts at five or six o'clock, so you you got more time to to be out there. But yeah, 
So do they still feed these to dogs? Like, is that still a thing? Yeah. 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 I think, okay. Yeah. They're better. Better for their like, teeth. Yeah. Just like bone splinter. Sure. Especially chicken bones. But yeah, make sure to, if you're interested in looking for deer sheds, ask permission with a, before you go hunting. I don't think a lot of our listeners are probably the ones that need to ask permission, but hopefully right. the people that They're are the ones coming the onto their property of, yeah, yeah, watching. are asking permission before they just go hunt for deer sheds out there. So, all right, now let's move into our Field Good Friday to wrap this episode up. So if you watched the big game this past weekend, maybe you watched some of the commercials, and this week we've got one of the uh, favorite commercials that was aired during the Super Bowl, Pluto TV had their tubers versus the tube spot. Here on this farm, we grow couch potatoes. <laughs> couch potatoes grow big and strong here, fed with the finest content for Pluto TV. Thousands of TV shows and movies for free. You just open the app, something great will be on. I love Star Trek. Uh, I love romance, but I also love murder. I like romantic murders. SpongeBob SquarePants. Cats 24-7 channel. I love Ink Master. Pluto TV just gets me. I like anything where a hot person throws a glass of wine at another hot person. (laughs) This country was raised on TV. TV that was easy. TV that was free. Pluto TV is TV the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, enjoyed the, the field of potatoes getting TVs planted in front of them. It felt like I was watching a farmer plant cabbages when they were doing that. Like, Yeah, they just had like a wagon with TVs. I do like when we watch something and farming gets integrated. Like the Paul Harvey thing a couple years ago with the Super Bowl. There's a lot of thank you farmers. I think Dodge maybe had one. Yeah, this this one was was a little bit more just like, yeah, those were great because of the thank you. And I liked this one because it was on a farm, but it was also felt a little bit weird watching like these... Big people as couch potatoes. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. But you know, even the straw bales in the spot looked real, and yeah, they had a little cat dressed as a potato, so it was quite the. Yeah, I, quite I the enjoyed the irony of the one couch potato eating French fries while they were watching TV. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. Hopefully, you enjoyed some of the commercials, whether it was this particular one or any of the other. Uh, Big money commercial. I think they said seven million dollars for thirty seconds was the Whoa. the price this year. So expensive game Whoa. all around. But yeah, hopefully you enjoyed some of it, and that'll do it for this week. So thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked nitrogen, liquid and drive, and some considerations for both. In our spotlight, we took a look at the New Holland new pickup head. Egg History Minute, we talked the origin of Landsat. Cool Beans this week was a weed-killing robot dog that could become a farmer's best friend. That's Corny was antler shed folks looking out and trespassing on private property while searching for those elusive antler sheds. And our Field Good Friday was the Pluto TV Couch Potato Super Bowl ad. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.